The Women Mind the Water podcast engages artists in conversation about their work and explores their connection with the ocean. Through these stories, Women Mind the Water hopes to inspire and encourage action to protect the ocean and her creatures. Today, I'm speaking with Justina Salnikova, a designer and sculptor whose large-scale creations encourage environmental awareness and social change and transform the public spaces where they are exhibited. Justina was instrumental in the creation of Ethel, an 82-foot-long blue whale made from steel and plastic waste. Justina and her co-designer hold the current Guinness record for creating Ethel, heralded as the world's largest recycled plastic sculpture. Welcome, Justina. Let me start by asking about where you grew up and your journey to becoming an artist. Were you always interested in creating and building? I am originally from Kazakhstan, Almaty, Kazakhstan, which is a country um, south of Russia, west of China. Um, I was born there and um, came to the U.S. when I was three um, and have been living in different parts of the U.S., but most of my childhood was um, in Southern California, and I grew up yeah, near the ocean there. Um, so a lot of my, my interests towards the ocean and its living creatures started there. And as well as an interest for building has, and creating and doing art has always persisted through my life. Um, yeah, so it's been a long journey of um, learning how to integrate those two. My love for all the creatures in this world, as well as ways to help them in creative ways. So which came first, your interest in art or an interest in the environment? Um, that's kind of hard to say. I think um, they're so intertwined. And I think I, I've always had an interest in both, but didn't realize how that I that I had an interest in both until um, I was in college, actually, when this actually really solidified. Um, I started my scholastic career post high school, um, going to City College in Santa Barbara. And there I actually started my environmental world by um, writing an English paper actually on nuclear waste and its effects on the ocean. Um, and from there, I just got really, really passionate and introduced to the world of environmental science and green building and green design, um, as well as a lot of like the social problems that um, align with a lot of the environmental problems. So I then went on to study at UC Berkeley um, and got a degree in um, sustainable environmental design, as well as environmental science policy and management. Um, and through the integration of that, I've, you know, got, it actually brought me back to art. Art has always been a practice and I've always like drawn and sketched and created weird sculptures on my own um, since I was a young girl. Um, but through those studies, I actually just like realized how 
um, impactful a tool that like design and the creation of space and art can be and driving social and environmental change. And um, it kind of solidified for me after going through those studies that instead of um, that one of the strongest point of, points of activism I can engage in and a, a change driver I could engage in was actually building art and transforming spaces. So that's, that's what led me to that journey. Tell me more about your work to promote sustainability. Maybe start by defining sustainability and then how your work draws attention to the plastic waste issue. Sustainability is just um, continuing our our way of life and our health as a species on the planet. But um, I often ask, like, health for whom and for what? And what are we sustaining? Um, and at this point, I'm actually not, you know, interested in sustaining our current way of life and our current paradigm. So um, I'm interested more in using um, these methods and art as a way of transforming our narratives and transforming our society into more of a yeah for lack of a better term a regenerative paradigm or a um a life where we as animals on this planet are giving back um to all of the beings that help us live our lives the plants the ocean um instead of just sustaining off of it to actually be able to live in relationship and be able to give back to it as well I'd like to know more about your collaboration with Joel Stockdale. How did that collaboration come about? Do the ideas precede the collection of the waste or do they grow from the collection? Um, Joel's been making large scale art for, yeah, 12 years now um, on many levels and has been working with reclaimed materials. And I was um, really interested on using like reclaim materials and different materialities to create space and structures um, as well as using those structures to create like environmental functions within the world. So sculpture that collects water or sculpture that um, teaches or has education. And we really connected onto those two points. Um, and we started working together. I first started working with him as an apprentice and um uh, learning the way he um, was using um, the trades to do that. So he's trained in carpentry and metalwork. And so at first I was working with him to develop some of those skills and to solidify my own um, knowledge on building large-scale structures and sculpture. Um, and then we start after a year of working together in that way, we started collaborating and um, working on concepts together and like, yeah, the biggest and the first big realization of that was, was Ethel the Blue Whale. And so, but we've both been um, kind of scavengers and um, waste nerds for a long time. So please describe how the waste is collected, sorted, and then treated in order to be used in the construction of the piece. So it really depends um, on the material we're working with and where we are um, building the piece and um, yeah, what, what the process actually looks like. Each sculpture is very, very unique. And um, for a while we were working um, on the road. So we would actually go to a community and 
get to know the community and get to know the waste stream in that particular place um, and gather materials in that area and see what's most available. Um, so let's say like a place has a lot of recycled lumber or plastic or um, whatnot, and we'd make relationships with a lot of the waste carriers in that space or the salvage yards or whatnot. Um, and we would then, um, yeah, we then collect the material and we sort it, um, sort it according to type and size um, and shape and color and all of the things. Um, and then from there, develop like a palette to work with for the sculpture itself. Um, so it really depends when we do work with plastic, depending on the process of like plastic recycling we engage in um it, it's a little bit different because we do two different types of plastic sculpture we work do assemblage type sculpture which is more like collage and putting things together as well as um recycle like fully recycling the material itself which you would see is what we did for ethel the whale um is where we actually like created new material for from material so that that comes with a way more intensive sorting process and cleaning process um but yeah we usually get all the raw material sort it clean it then cut it into the shapes we want it and then sculpt with it would you describe the process of envisioning and creating ethel for example how did you collect all the plastic needed for a life-size blue whale how did you assemble her and what other challenges did you face in bringing her to reality Please, when you're discussing visual aspects of the process, describe them for anyone listening to an audio-only version. Yeah, so Ethel was, um, yeah, a project that um, really exceeded the scope and scale that we had ever done before at the time. Um, so she was an amazing learning process. And... Um, our main inspiration from for her was drawn from what's um, known as the Precious Plastics Movement, which is a actually a group that was started in Europe and the Netherlands, I believe, and um, has created open source DIY technology to recycle your own plastic. And they've basically taught people how to recycle plastic and um and created machinery as well as tutorials and people have been starting these DIY recycling centers around the world. So at the time where when we got the commission of Ethel, Ethel was commissioned by the Monterey Bay Aquarium um, originally and it was a campaign to um, raise awareness around plastic waste specifically and um, the idea came from the fact that um, about 300,000 pounds of plastic waste enter the ocean every nine minutes. So we wanted to take that statistic and actually visualize it. And so hence we brought forth the whale as the, how much the mass of a whale is what goes into the ocean every nine minutes. Um, so, so from that concept, we were basically tasked with creating a whale that illustrated that. And we took, um, that opportunity to try out and to engage the precious plastics model of DIY recycling. Um, and yeah, so um, yeah, it was a very interesting process. So we 
we first we wanted to do a series of community engagements which often is how we um, collect our plastic but for this one we needed a lot a lot of plastic waste we used about 5,000 pounds of plastic trash um, so we actually worked with the local municipalities we worked with green waste in um, San Francisco or in um, in the Bay Area primarily and they donated a lot of the plastic waste um we were actually um at the time we were collecting waste was shortly after the national sword policy had been passed um meaning that china was no longer accepting any of our plastic waste so the value of a barrel of plastic had significantly decreased um so recyclaries were more than willing <laughs> to donate um plastic waste to this whale so we actually had like we um we picked up many barrel like many bales of um plastic as well as um got a, few, a couple thousand pounds delivered to our warehouse and from there we would have to sort every single piece and go through because the way plastic recycling works you can only really recycle one type of plastic with a different with another type of the same kind so for the whale we decided after doing some research we did um high density polyethylene because at the time yeah it was the easiest plastic to work with on with the methods that we had as well as um one of the safest to do to work with um, because it does not off gas at its melting temperature. So we were considering all these things. So we decided to work with number two plastic. So we would get a bunch of barrels of what was supposedly pre-sorted number two um, high density polyethylene. And we would have to go through <laughs> all of the piles and hand sort them um, and and look through each individual piece and find the label on the piece of waste which to ensure that it's number two plastic because if you add a different type of plastic to the recycling process it um, creates an impurity in the end product and so we have these end products here this is one of the whale panels um, so if you actually um have a different type of plastic in here it creates a weakness and we didn't want that because our primary concern with building the whale is we wanted to build a sculpture out of plastic that wouldn't add to any pollution or there was like less chance of any plastic pieces breaking off and then ending up in the ocean or in the environment somewhere so we thought if you have a solid consolidated piece that's melted together it's much safer um, in the long run um, so that was part of our motivation so yeah we would have to sort all of them and then we would wash all of the pieces because you have to make sure that each piece isn't have any of the products still on it so like a milk jug we have to rinse out all the crusty milk any of the we mostly use like number two is um milk jugs and laundry detergent bottles as well as yeah those are like some of the main main things that number two plastic or what comes in number two plastic and so we went th through a whole washing process which we actually created a gray water filtration system to filter all of our water so we could actually recycle water and dispose of it safely after all of the washing processes 
And after it's washed, it has to be delabeled and all of the labels and any extra impurities have to be cut off. And then it goes into a shredder and then all of the plastic is shredded um, into granule pieces and then it is melted and compressed and it makes, yeah, one of these panels. And after that, we put them all together and, um, yeah, made, put, made the whale. Um, the whale uh, framework was, um, and the way the paneling went on itself was all built to flat pack and designed to flat pack. So we could actually fit the whole whale on a, in a 50 foot truck. Um, and pack it down so it's made to move. So we actually built it on site at our warehouse and then we disassembled it, brought it to Chrissy Field and then reassembled it there. And then, yeah, a few months later, it was only on Chrissy Field for I think six months total. And now it's in Santa Fe, New Mexico at the community college there. And we, again, flat packed it after that, shipped it to New Mexico and uh, reassembled it there. So it's actually for being such a large scale piece, it's very um, movable. <laughs> so how sense. long did it take to build Ethel and how many people were involved? So it took a total of about six months to build Ethel and a very rushed six months. Um, and it took a total of, I mean, almost like a hundred people came through. We had a, it was me and Joel um, leading the team, and um, we were working with our arts and management consulting firm, Building 180, who um, helps us with all of the logistics and um, all of that good stuff. And then we had a core team about of about 10 people that worked with us every day. And then we had um, people come in and out, volunteer days. We had lots of community engagement volunteer days. Um, and that like taught people about plastic um, and plastic recycling and turned it into workshop days. Um, so yeah, probably about a hundred people total um, with the rotating crew um, because we had to have a lot of people rotating through the six months. Um, so yeah, a lot of hands and a lot of love went into Ethel and her creation. How is your art an expression of you as a person and your view of the world? For me, it's really about a conversation with the material and with the earth itself through through this work. And so I think it brings me closer to, to being in relationship with all of these things. Um, and... I think it expresses my worldview and my view, yeah, my view of the world and the way of, I see that in a lot of the world we're we're fighting narratives between what's, yeah, right and wrong and how do we create systems um, that, that allow us to live in a good way on this planet. And at a point, and I see our, our material world and our spatial world as a as a a expression of our ideologies our cities and everything that we've built is just an expression of what we believe and what we want to have in the world and i use art and creation and space making as that that change agent um and i you know i think that sometimes fighting ideology with ideology 
becomes tricky and sticky and often that we need to touch deeper parts of our soul because that's what we're actually striving for so for me art is an expression of that it's my way of being an activist and being being um engaged in a in a different way um than maybe some of the more traditional um, ways of being as an artist how does your work engage people in caring about the ocean i think whenever you see an animal made out of recycled waste or especially some we've been working with a lot of creating a lot of sea animals out of plastic waste I think it reminds people of the impact they have on the ocean and their greater environment in their day-to-day lives, Um, especially, yeah, when you're looking at ethyl. For me, I see all all of the things I've used in those panels, um, even if they're, they're jumbled up, but even like learning about the piece, you see all of the waste that you've produced in your life as a consumer, as a person. I have been speaking with Eustina Salnikova for the Women Mind the Water podcast series. The series can be viewed on womenmindthewater.com. An audio-only version of this podcast is available on the Women Mind the Water website and on iTunes. This is Pam Ferris Olson. Thank you for listening. That's what we are.